Hey, everyone. This is part two of our conversation with my dear friend and role model, Jeff Salzman. Roger and I get into it even more deeply. And I know if you've heard the first part, you're going to want to hear this too. So let's fasten our seatbelts and get ready to rock. Welcome to Deep Transformation, Self, Society, Spirit, Life-Enhancing, Paradigm-Rattling Conversations with Cutting-Edge Thinkers, Contemplatives, and Activists, with Dr. Roger Walsh and John Dupuy. Join us in the evolutionary fast lane as we take a deep dive into transformational practice, peak experience, profound understanding, powerful contribution. I had a, another question. You know, you you read the New York Times and you stay right on this stuff. And I was talking with Roger yesterday and said you wanted to read what you had to say about Afghanistan. Did you ever get around to that or hear what you said on that, Roger? Yeah. And and I did. And it really helped, brother. Thank you. Oh, did, oh good. Oh, good. Okay. Yes. I was really struggling with that. And it kind of one of the things that stood out, the, the way that it folded so quickly is like there was no there there. Billion, a trillion and a half or more dollars in 20 years, nothing. It folded like a deck of cards as fast as their pickup trucks could drive is how fast they took over. And in a way, we could be grateful for that because although some people see that as a worst case scenario, in, in, in that thinking, the best case scenario would have been a civil war where they would have fought their way up. And right. that, but you know, even that, if you think about the title of, of my podcast, it was Afghanistan, colon. The case for leaving, comma, and staying. Right. I don't know. Yeah. No. Nope. You know, I can absolutely argue both of those. And that's sort of my practice these days. On any of these issues, I want to be able to argue the point of the progressives, the modernists, and the traditionalists as well and as I, they can. And I, I want to just acknowledge that, Jeff, because that feels like such a crucial perspective and aspiration in our times, uh, in a times of extreme polarization, of anger, aggression, where righteousness is a virtue, where canceling people is a virtue, and some people, you know, maybe they should be canceled, but where division and divisiveness are held as virtues, attack is a, is a positive it just seems so crucial to be able to f take the time to feel into each other's pos positions. And I, I sure fall short of this, but I bow in admiration to that aspiration and the capacity you have for doing that. I well, think much better you, than myself. You should see me if sometimes when I'm watching CNN. Okay. But yes, thank you. I mean, it is my aspiration and I like that word. Yeah. And that's all we can do. I mean, yeah. we're all works in progress and we're aspiring to to hold more perspectives and have more compassion and embrace different different points of view. But it's uh, it's challenging. Yeah. It and is. And, well, I was, just gonna, I was just going to say that this is another, you know, I'm, 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 a, I'm sort of an integral fundamentalist. I, the, the map as presented in Aqual has been so fruitful for me. I ain't saying it's the, the end point, nor does Ken, but it has been so helpful to me. And one of the sort of big realizations, and this is Claire Graves, is that these first tier structures, these first tier memes, if you will. So this is ending with post-modernity. It goes indigenous, tribal, warrior, traditional, modern, postmodern. All six of those are in one way or the other driven by fear. 
And you can see that, you can feel that. And humanity is very much driven by fear. But there's a, there's a, a giant shift that happens. This is that movement, not just into a new stage, but a new tier. The fear drops. It's replaced by a, the need to create mm. and the need to tend. And one loses this condemnation and all of the, every stage has this, this shouldn't be happening. It's awful that it is. I can't stand it. Somebody needs to be condemned. I mean, that, this is the currency. This is the, the energetic of the culture war right now. Yes. And, these, the, and all of these memes are online, at least the last three and four are. And so integral is, is sort of over that. And I find myself repelled by that energy these days. And that's right on schedule. If indeed I'm leaving post-modernity and moving into integral, because that would naturally drop. And in, before it would drop, and it hasn't dropped fully, believe me, I'm still plenty fearful. But I'm allergic to it, at least. I've seen the damage it does. I think that the way people talk about humanity and the way we condemn ourselves as humanity and what we've done and all of that and each other in that way. If we were doing that with ourselves, the self-loathing, right now it's a cultural self-loathing, but an individual self-loathing, we would have been in therapy 30 years ago and many of us were to get over that. The culture is not even, not really close even, I don't think. It's, I, I do see integral arisings throughout the culture that they're not self-identified integral. They don't know integral from nothing, but there is a, I think Barack Obama is a perfect example. There are these people who come along who just, they have a natural ability to take multiple perspectives and to flow with other people and to get behind their heads and their eyes and, and to integrate multiple perspectives. And there are more and more of them. I want to notice that's one of the other things I often try to point out on the Daily Evolver. Yeah, that feels like such an important skill you're naming there, Jeff. That is what I, I call perspectival fluidity, fluidity, the capacity to look at things from different viewpoints, and then to move to a meta perspective in which one steps back and looks at all the other perspectives and begins to see how to bring them together. And for, for me, the, the best image of that is walking up or climbing up a mountain. And from any particular level, you can look around and see different perspectives. If you're not just fixating and looking straight ahead, you can take in the whole panorama and see how they all fit together. But then if you go another couple of thousand feet up the mountain, you can look back on where you were looking from and suddenly see it from a whole a meta perspective. And that's extremely important. And then, then if you climb to the top, you literally have a 360 spherical vision, which in is recognized in some traditions, such as Hua Yin Buddhism, as the great, the great all-encompassing vision. Oh, I want and, that. Yeah, and it's so, it feels like that's part of our developmental challenge at this time, is to embrace, is to open to more people and ways of seeing, to, to, to honor and integrate them to whatever extent we can. And one thing that feels important, you've touched on this in various ways, so I just want to bring it out. You talked about judging and condemning and stepping back. And the word judgment is so important, it's used so much, but it has two very different meanings. One is to condemn, which leads, leads to anger and righteousness and guilt, guilt in the people that are judged. But the other meaning of, of judge is to discern, and that leads to wisdom. And we need discern, we need, 
we need to release the condemnation, practice acceptance, or as the great psychologist Carl Jung said, the acid test of personality is acceptance. So we need to foster acceptance and cultivate the discernment simultaneously. And that feels like the knife edge, which I think you're speaking to. Yeah, no, I, I do it. It feels like a knife edge sometimes. I mean, really, it's, it, it's my liberal th- friends think I'm a conservative and my conservative friends think I'm a liberal. All right, you're I mean, doing I, something I just, right. I know, I know, but it's, <laughs> it's still a nice edge. It's hard all the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it is, really. You know, this is my crust there, <laughs> here in Boulder, Colorado. Yeah. Sometimes I see it as that what happens when we move into integral, and this is sort of an entry-level integral, we sometimes refer to as teal or yellow, and, it, it, and it's where you begin to see development, and you see that this whole thing has arised in stages, and you see the different stages of development, and you see their, what, how they think. And you literally, as a practice, want to take their perspective and take this perspective and take that perspective and open the newspaper and see that everybody in this newspaper really wants a better world for their grandchildren. Yes. By their lights. And so as you do this and you open your heart and you breathe and your belly and your loins and your head, and you do that, then at some point, you stop identifying with any single perspective. You, You might still have your preferences. You're still who you are in a way. But you move into a larger space of consciousness, and this is kind of literal in a way, where that contains perspectives, where mm. perspectives are arising within. And so, and the funny thing is, is that this space is imbued with loving intelligence. And that's what you see in this second stage of integral that we say is turquoise, uh, which is the, um, the, 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 the realization that this whole thing's alive. Mm. You know, and it's, it's, and I'm alive with it and by it and it's living me and I'm living it. That is that new realization where the perspectives just arise as needed. And if you bring that consciousness and heart to any situation, this is a practice that I fail regularly at, but when you do, and you, sometimes you ring the bell, then you just know what to do. It's the flow of wisdom that is so delicious and, and people love it. And, and, and it's really what the saints and sages of history have achieved. And we talked about these stages. Well, there are people who spike all the way up in these certain lines of development and they're riveting to the rest of us. That, that integral, when it's transmitted, often is, feels like a balm for people. Yeah. Mm. Jeff, I have, a, I have a question. I probably wanted to ask you for years. I see the fruits of your labor on yourself, immersing yourself in current events and culture and all the things that you take on. How do you take care of yourself? How do you stay grounded in God, if you will, for lack of a better word? What do you do? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I, at this point, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to decide whether to tell the long story or the short story. Oh, tell as long as you need. Yeah. Well, there, you know, I was quite a spirit. I was always a spiritual seeker, even in my, as an atheist, you know, there's a certain way that an atheist is a spiritual seeker. And I was. And so I always, you know, when I got to Boulder, I was into all sorts of meditation and all sorts of practices. At one point, I got deeply into mindfulness practice. And this is through Naropa and through another teacher, independent teacher. And uh, it went bad on me. Actually, I just did a podcast on it with this guy, a meditation teacher named Dan Lawton, 
who wrote a, an essay that I just saw on the internet called When Buddhism Goes Bad, How My Mindfulness Practice Drove Me Mad or Drove Me Off the Rails or something like that. And it, it happened to me. I, I, I sort of entered a stage of anxiety the whole time I was at Naropa in the Masters of Divinity program. You know, I'm doing these big, long retreats, these solitaries and stuff. You know, they talk about the clashes in class. But, you know, when I'm actually having a meltdown where I'm thinking I'm having a heart attack, where I'm flop sweating into my cushion, where I can't, it's untenable. And you go to the teacher and the advice is keep meditating, it'll go away. You know, you have to penetrate these dark nights of the soul. And actually what I did at one point was to get up off the cushion and never look back. It's not that I haven't looked back. It's not that I, I, I didn't look back for a while. And what happened was, you know, I, this was happening before Integral. Now, if I'd listened to the podcast I just did with this guy, I would have solved all my problems. I needed to integrate. What actually happened for me was I, I think through Ken, actually, I was reading Ken. I didn't know Ken at this point. And you maybe you could tell me, Roger, but did he promote Peter Levine and his book, Taming the Tiger? But it's the somatic practice. I got it from somebody. I thought it was Ken. But I, I bought the book and it's basically about just close the windows and scream and shake and, you know, let this out to feel it. This was not what I was taught in my Vipassana mindfulness practice, my mindfulness practice to observe it, let it go, let it dissolve. Well, fair enough. I couldn't do that. So anyway, he and I both had very similar experiences and he, he much more extreme, extreme dissociation and so forth. So at that point was when I actually found God again. And this was through the book, The Road Less Traveled by Scott Peck, mm. which is one of the, it was 13 years in the New York Times bestseller list. It's got a Guinness Book of Records. And it was, it's basically an intellectual argument for the existence of God. So it has, it's for modernists. And it's, but this book, when I was done reading it, it's like you were talking about, John. The next day, I didn't even notice it when I was done reading the book, but the next morning, I awoke into a vision of God. I actually had a dream of the bell ringing in my childhood church, and we actually didn't have a bell. It was closed up and boarded up like all the old churches, but it was ringing, and, it was, and I was lit up by the love of God, and that's been more my practice now. Prayer relating to spirits. I feel like I have a committee uh, that's been assigned to me. I've heard, I've heard you say that. I yeah, thought it very you know, interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I, again, I'm in a, I have a don't know space, but a lot of faith. And that's good enough for me right now. I, you know, Ken and the integral movement was keen on creating, and you too, John. I mean, a lot of people, we, we hosted these at, at the Integral Institute, the integral Buddhism, uh, integral Christianity, integral whatever and working within the tradition that you had. I can only go so far with that. I, I want the other guy. You know, I want the emptiness. Mm -hmm. I know that's brought in. And thank God for Integral, because Integral will help people. And actually, Roger, Namali was saying that you wrote about <coughs> this years ago. I, I, I hadn't read it, but about how the dangers of mindfulness practice and how they need to be integrated with somatic practice, interpersonal practice, second person of God practice, you know, a mm -hmm. prayer. And that that would have saved me. But it 
but it didn't. So that's that's my sort of short history of it. And I do think that there's and, and Dan Lawton, he's he's not integrally informed. We don't really go over the integral maps and stuff, but he he too was saved by Peter Levine. And he's, mm. he's, a, he's a young man. He, this happened 10 years ago for him. It was more like 20 for me, for sure. And, and finding Peter Levine's only a year or two ago for him. And he's found this whole group that sort of is identifying people who have gotten off the rails with particularly mindfulness, because if you're naturally neurotic, <laughs> which, which all I of am. us are. Well, thank you, yeah. Roger. I was going to take that on, but I don't need to. But, you know, it's to be become ever more painfully aware of your neuroses and their manifestations as body sensations. Uh, I get that I was supposed to let them go at the same time, but I didn't. Uh, <laughs> and, and the truth of the matter is, and, and Dan helped me to see this, this guy I was talking to. There's ways in which I haven't healed from that. Yeah. You know, there are states of consciousness that I find myself in that I didn't find myself in before that, that meltdown, a multi-year meltdown. And Jeff, I think you're actually describing one of the issues of our time as these contemplative traditions move into both into the West and as our own Western contemplative traditions are revived. And that is that you're, you're what the Jungians would call an epical person, a person whose life embodies the issues of our time. And it's true in many ways, you're bringing of integral and the contemporary challenges, but also now, and this I didn't know, in your contemplative practice, because it's very clear if we look back over, say, you mentioned Buddhism, we got a sold a bill of goods. We got a mythological take. We got, oh, yes. so-and-so got the teachings, went, went to the forest, meditated, and woke up. Well, it's like boy meets girl, right off to the sunset, live happily ever after. If you've been in a relationship, you can know something's missing there. Yeah. And what we didn't get was a map of all the challenges and crises and uh, uh, eruptions of neuroses and even yes. pathologies yes. that can arise. Yes, and, and all stuff that the traditions understood in their original states. You know, yeah. the Buddhist monasteries, they understood all that, but we, we got into this commodified, even in, you know, I was working through Naropa and there was a way in which it was, you know, again, we studied that this could go wrong, but the the the, the um, injunction was always just keep meditating. Yeah, and I had a lot of teachers, so I, I'm. Yeah, I'm, and and I'm, I'm just really be, getting some of this at this point. Yeah, 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 and and there are times when just keep meditating is exactly the right in, yes. right instruction. There are times when it's the worst instruction. Yeah, and we're yeah. just beginning to map out yes. both a more subtle teaching uh, teaching styles and responses to these challenges, and as you just had to discover for yourself when to bring in other other yeah, entirely exactly. different kinds of practices. Yeah. And we need to acknowledge that contrary to what I and many of us believed, spiritual practice alone doesn't do it. Right. Yeah. You know, we believed that. And, you know, we were a stage in the. And we, uh, we, we paid the right. price. Yeah. Roadkill on the highway of, you know. Yeah. 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 And, you know, I'm, I'm, with it. I'm not angry about it, but I notice it now. And I sure as hell feel like I want to help people avoid it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. And so this is, I think, uh, so beautiful you brought this up because it really is one of the issues of our time. And, yeah. and I certainly wouldn't want anyone coming away from this conversation feeling that I'm saying these contemplative practices aren't extraordinary and profound and valuable and transformative. Totally. And yes. they, like any growth process, they're not all sweetness and light, no matter no. what the story we got. No, no you have a meltdown in fourth century Tibet, they'll just lock you in a cave with a hyena for a couple of days and you'll come back out and, you know, could I have penetrated this dark night of the soul? Probably I might have with the right kind of teaching and real capital T teacher who would take on my karma and walk me through it. And, but in the, in the realm I was in, which were the Buddhist industrial complex, that wasn't available to me. And at some point I realized, yes, I know this is a failure. I could penetrate this, but it's not worth a psychosis. Well, and sometimes it's appropriate as, as uh, Ramdas, the, you know, brought so many of these practices to the West, uh, pointed out, sometimes it's appropriate to step back from the fire. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and it becomes a delicate balancing act. And, and so often it becomes doing what you did, trusting one's own inner sense or guidance yeah. or inner wisdom. As, yeah. you know. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm, that's, you know, that's been a, a sort of the broad strokes of my spiritual path. And it's funny to be revisiting some of what I thought I'd left behind and bringing it in a bigger context and, and seeing how the system, even as it's continuing to work, is failing people. Uh, I just want to acknowledge how vulnerable you were just in and talking about that. And it really touched me. Uh, oh, really moved me. I'd be uh, happy to share with you folks. And, and another kind of a follow-up question to that. How's your second person thing going? Yeah, it's, it's a work in progress. A second person would be how, relating to a divine other. So, yeah, like, hey, God, uh, it's me again, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. I find God, God's too scary because look at this place. So I shy away from him. Too much. The light's too bright, maybe. And I go with my crowd of, you know, angels or something who have been assigned to me. And I'll ask him, what should I do? And I'll, I'll see them in, in a thought bubble, essentially. I mean, I'm, I'm such a five. I'm such a thinker. And, and, and they'll thumbs down, thumbs up. I'll see, I'll ask them to help me to work through my resistance to X, Y, Z. And here's the, here's the thing that it is still appalling to me how little I do this considering my track record of results to actually literally pray and ask for things. Now, not the Mercedes Benz, but anytime you ask for, an ego death <laughs> or give me the strength to endure there it's answered pretty reliably and not subtly even to me and yet do i do it as a practice you're the practitioner john yeah. you're the one who puts all of us to shame with your discipline practice over the years and the fruit it's bore but I'm not the greatest practitioner. 
Well, you know, and but I, I sense I sense spirit and goodness and God coming through you all the time. So you, it may be a karma yoga. And I was thinking maybe you are working through that trauma that you encountered there through the work that you do in the world. Because to me, yeah. I think I emailed you once that you really are hitting the sweet spot of your own being. I don't think you need to do a vision quest. I think you're living <laughs> your vision on a daily oh, basis. You know, it's a big deal. So I spent a lot of years searching myself and helping other people to find it. And I really, you're, you're really an initiated uh, man, oh, you know? Well, so that, that, that's very inspiring. And I thank you. It's what I'm trying to do. I mean, I, you know, I can't tell you how satisfying that is because I get to do this and it's, I, I can't imagine doing anything that's better suited for me or that I would love more or that would access more of what I got to give. And that's, I always remember that from that poor psychologist whose name is unpronounceable, just Sensa Mahaley or whatever. Right, uh, that guy, the flow yeah. guy. Haley Sensa Mahaley, I think is something like that. But at any rate, he wrote the book Flow, very big book. And he talked about flow being that state where you lose track of self, for one thing. And then the second thing is that it it, it is a portal to your genius. Your genius pours through. So whether it's skiing or cooking or whatever it might be when you find yourself in the zone that's what's that what that's what happens the problem is i want to be there when it happens and when i want to be there then i re-inject myself and i you know it all falls apart but uh (laughs) that's what i'm trying to do on these shows is to just get on and flow with this thing i got and you must experience that. When I used to watch Ken early on when uh, Integral Naked and, you know, I'll just that, that oh completely God. changed everything. And we had these really bright people asking these really difficult questions and he wouldn't even blink. He no. would just answer it. Yeah. And thought, no, that was so hell? inspiring and transmissive to me, actually. Yes. And I saw him do it time after time. We did, I don't know how many of those Integral seminars. Uh, they were all a week long, probably 30 or 40 of them. He came two days a week. He spoke for an hour and a half uh, each time, and he would come, in, in, and, he, and so he came twice in to, with each seminar, so Tuesday and a Thursday. One day he would come in a beautiful suit, just tailored to him, and he had this physique, you know, even though he has this illness, it was, it was, he, he was a Greek guy, yeah. Anaerobic exercise, he had this mm-hmm. torso, you know, he's tall, he's beautiful, and he wear the suit. And the next Thursday, he would come and he'd be in this exquisitely ripped T-shirt, blue jeans, and this kooky belt. And, you know, so he would, first of all, he would present in all kinds of ways that was interesting. And then he would sit down and he would look at the audience, and there'd be 40 or 50 people there. And he'd say, okay, go. Who's first? And they would ask him personal questions, theoretical questions. And it was like mother's milk to me, and I think to the people there, to see somebody sparkling, not just flowing, but sparkling. And that's a real thing, it turns out, sparkle. You can literally see it. And I always have with Ken. Hallelujah. Bless you, Ken. Well, well, let me let me hold up the mirror, because I've seen the same sparkle in, since it coming from you when you're on. I don't know if you're aware of it, but, no. and the same thing with you, Roger, you guys are just, just amazing human beings. I'm so honored to be to be here with you but no i feel that coming and i I wonder if you can you can sense it and just feel well thank you god because here i am yeah no that that would be a that would be a lovely practice 
just to remember that, right? Yeah. 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 I think that's a good, that's a very good practice, John. Thank you. Just remember and, God. Yeah. And can you say a little more, Jeff, about how it actually feels when you feel like it's really flowing through you? Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, it's a little like, to use sort of classic psychological uh, sort of a paradigm, it's the the small self versus the higher self. And the small self is really bounded by ego in time and space and is is a contracted self. And that, that's the self that's worried about everything and, you know, very sensory and fearful and so forth. And, you know, all religions and spiritual practices in one way or the other call us to see that instead of be that or realize that there's another dimension of reality beyond time and space that is also online and that there's this larger Jeff. And so I can literally feel, I, I love, I love Walt Whitman and he wrote a yes, line. Yes, you do. Yes. I you're recording. I love that so much. Yes. And he wrote a line that, that I think captures this beautifully. And that is, there's nothing so soft that it can't serve as the hub of the wheeled universe. Hmm. Okay, so that's what I feel like. I'm the, I, in my best moments, I feel like I'm, in, I'm the hub of the wheeled universe. Hmm. And, uh, and, it's, and I'm supposed to be here and hallelujah, I don't know. You know, at some point it's just words fail and that's also sort of a marker of it because words and thought are limited into this space and time thing and realization capital R realization is the thing that's outside of that or, or within which time and space arise or something like that. But it's palpable. I mean, you could feel it. I mean, this, this is the role of meditation and the traditions in large degree. And, and, and one of the ways we do it is by, you know, just noticing the arising of the small self. And notice how the small self, what the thought process and visuals and the narration, the body sensations. Don't just do that, folks. That'll lead you to perdition. But that's a piece of it, very important piece of it. And when you do that, when you see it, it um, sort of dissolves and, you know, onion skin is removed. And Roger, you've written about this more beautifully than anybody really in terms of really bringing the integral view and that and that matters that changes everything yeah so you're describing a practice a beautiful practice for you and john mentioned karma yoga but it feels like more a practice of shifting for shifting into a state of, of being and allowing and I think that's been a recurrent theme in what you've been talking about today, uh, opening to acceptance and allowing of allowing oneself. At first you were speaking of allowing oneself to open to different perspectives, but now it feels you're talking about allowing yourself to open to being, being a instrument. Ideally, I think what we aspire to all aspire to being instruments of service. Oh yeah. 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 And, all done within the context you pointed out earlier of don't know <laughs> that it's all a mystery. We don't yeah. know. We don't know what is the optimal we should be doing or how yes. we should be doing it. But there does come an increasing trust. You used the yes. word faith for me. Trust resonates a little more. It's like somehow we know that to the extent we open 
in trust that things tend to work. Yeah. 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 Even if it kills us and one day it does. Yeah. Say more about that. Well, um, that's sort of, uh, it's one of the practices that is off cited in the traditions and that is to befriend death. Hmm. I mean, you want to get out of the small self? Well, it's actually going to happen. (laughs) It's all going to turn to dust. And who are you without this small self? And so from the charnel ground meditations of Buddhism to this idea of death being a crow on your left shoulder, to take up your cross and crucifixion, Mm -hmm. die into Christ. Mm -hmm. They all have that. We're really working with your own mortality. And that is, I, I think that has to be, it, for me, it wants to be part of that, I, of that working on accepting, you know, and being courageous because it's, something's going to kill me anyway. I might as well just go out there and be Jeff. Yeah, that's right. Go out well. You know? Yeah. I mean, at least I'll be me. It's like that old line from the Jewish rabbi Zuchika or whatever, oft quoted, who arrives in heaven. He says that when I arrived at heaven, God didn't ask me, why were you not Moses? He asked me, why were you not Zushka? And I love that. (laughs) So I want to be Jeff. And I think Jeff is a mess. And I think he's evolving and okay. And I like him on good days. You know, whatever. I mean, I'm just saying that this is um, part of, I think it's part of it too. And this is where integral, again, it's just integral it illuminates so much of reality that I think just noticing it, how my type, personality type filters the world. You know, noticing where, what lines of development are still down in the basement. Like me and, I often think, Ken often talks about the, the various lines of development and to illuminate how many of them there are, he's, as he puts it, there are as many lines of development as things you can say about human beings. That one of the ones he uses is culinary, the culinary line of development. And there are people who are geniuses and there are people who aren't. And so you can be somewhere on the culinary line. And I noticed that <laughs> all of my cooking is about recreating my mother's best recipes. My culinary is arrested at traditional. I like comfort food. Now I'm working on making it more integral and you know, all that good stuff, but I just noticed that and that's fun. So a lot of what Ken has given with the aqua model is just fun to look at, live into and to explore. I, I often think that you know, knowing Ken, that he came up with the integral model to explain himself to himself. <laughs> Well, that's you know, because who do you know that has more going on than Ken? <laughs> you know, a thing about, about all three of you and Ken is like, I, when I was a teenager, 14, I became a member of a religious cult until my early 20s. No, that's a whole story. Yeah, after that, I didn't want to join anything. I mean, I joined the army, but they were just messing with my head. They weren't messing with my soul. I found it really easy by comparison. <laughs> and, but I've always been very uh, uh, cultar. When things start mm-hmm. getting culty and weird, I'm like, mm. and I, I usually can sense into it a lot, but I never got that from Ken. 
you know, I wrote a book that was my career integral recovery for, for at least a decade. And he never asked for any money. He never, you know, this is my model you're using of just complete generosity. I'm his ninth grade dropout, right? And I email him. He always responds, kindness, supportive. And when he's not kidding, he's just the sweetest guy from the Midwest who deals with life like the rest of us have to. And yeah. it's just, it's just so appealing. Yeah. And I never, and he got, could he have been a cult leader? Oh, what a oh my God. disaster that would have been. Oh my God. Yeah. And, and you've always had that generosity too, Jeff, and, and you too, Roger, you know, just this, yeah. this, this. Well, you know, I, I can testify with Ken that I joined up with him in 2003. And for the next four years, we generated close to $4 million on just Ken. So the, the, what really brought people from all over the world to these seminars and that we had in, in Colorado here are these five-day seminars. They paid $4,000 for them at the, at the beginning. They wanted to see Ken and then be with him. And Ken could have easily had pocketed that money. Why shouldn't he? He wrote all these books. He's got fans. He's going to meet them and they're going to pay for the privilege. And But he didn't. He put it all into, he took his really minor stipend and put it all into the Integral Institute. And we had 30 employees and we were doing all this stuff. And, and that was just a generosity of, he wanted, you know, he, he didn't just want the money. He wanted Integral to take off. And, and in many ways, despite the ups and downs, it has. I, I see that era. He, he envisioned this multiplex and we'd have all these various websites and they'd all be connected. And it ultimately worked better in Ken's head than reality problem but uh, <laughs> that's true of a lot of things actually <laughs> yeah but i love how they work in ken's head yeah you know? really you like you i know? understand <laughs> but 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 still in some ways it was like the dandelion just putting out all its uh seeds so all of a sudden integral is seeded all over the place all over the world really that's right and we see the fruits of that now and in we some do. ways that was a i think that was evolution's idea of a better way to go and, and most of the, the the intellectuals that I listen to in the talks and either podcasts or YouTube, which is like, it's like the, the library of Alexandria for me. I mean, YouTube, <laughs> what, a, what a blessing. Oh, my. Ken is always is, is referenced. It's always there. He just, he's, if, if he's not actually mentioned, which he often is, his influence has been yeah. pervasive. And it, it continues just to spread, not the way we thought we were going to do it in the early days, but it, it just the power of the ideas themselves, you know, have, have just permeated. And you're doing a big part to keep that healthy and alive with your work. Yeah. So I'm happy to be in the integral ghetto. I don't aspire to anything more. I think there's so much here that my listeners like that, too. So I use the jargon. You know, I have my explanations on the website and try to help people. And I you know, really do want to make this an on-ramp for people. And I, I want the Daily Evolver to be a portal for the wider intelligentsia. I can't believe that this idea of development hasn't, it's explained so, 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 so much, much explanatory power, as they say. Yeah, yeah. And you, yet you read these people in the New York Times and hear them, it would help them so much. Afghanistan, all of it, that it's shocking to me, really. <laughs> <laughs> more people don't think this way. Yeah, your critique of Jordan Peterson, basically, I mean, Jordan has so much, you know, so much good, but it's yeah. just like, just quite incorporate yeah. that developmental thing would make such a, a huge, huge difference. A few sandwiches short. 
And, and maybe since we're talking so much about Ken, who's Ken Wilbur and Integral, maybe maybe just be helpful since a lot of the listeners won't be familiar familiar with Integral or Ken to just say a little bit about him. And Ken Wilbur is a polymath, a person whose knowledge spans many disciplines, but more than just spans them, integrates them. And that he has provided one way of looking and integrating the various ideas and systems and theories and concepts and findings of our time by creating what is called a meta theory. And one of the responses to, there are various responses to the overwhelming complexity of our times. Some people just just focus on one little narrow way of seeing and say that that's the only true way. Others bring a couple of things together and say, well, there's this and there's that. But then there's a very few number of people, three actually in the world today, who have created what are called meta theories, which are theories which or ways of viewing which provide a framework for encompassing all the other different theories we currently have available. And of these, there's one in one in France, Edgar Morin's complex theory. There's an English one, critical realism. And there's Ken Wilber's integral theory. I think we're all drawn to Ken Wilber's integral theory because it is the one, only one, which really recognizes the centrality of psychological development, that people see the world in very different ways at, very, at different stages, and that all of us can mature through different stages. And that that's a remarkably recent recognition. I mean, this is a fifth, it's only been around the last century or so, yeah, yeah. and really recognized in the last 50 years. I mean, before that, we used to think that psychological maturation stopped the same time the body stopped maturing and growing, yes, which is- a point. It's extraordinary. To my mind, that's the most exciting discovery in psychology in the last 50 years. And I, you know, I'm, I'm a professional mental health researcher. I'm a psychiatrist. I have a professor of psychiatry, blah, blah, blah. So to me, that's the most exciting discovery. And Ken has made that one of the major dimensions of his meta theory, his way of understanding and integrating and bringing together all the great discoveries and and disciplines of our time, or at least providing a framework for everything. Some people described as a framework of everything, but I think it's much better to say it's a framework for or that can hold everything. And so and one of the key dimensions as you've been emphasizing so much, Jeff, is is development. And, and once you have a developmental perspective, once you see that we we're each of us is operating primarily, not exclusively, from a particular stage and where all of us are in process, then so many things begin to make sense in a yes. whole different way. And I yes. just don't think you can understand, for example, religion without developmental perspective or mm. our contemporary cultural conflicts without developmental perspective. And I think mm. that's your unique contribution. Yeah. But you're looking at these cultural conflicts and the contemporary challenges through this both developmental and integral framework. So I just wanted to give that context uh, since many people may not be familiar with either Ken Wilber or integral. Yeah. And think about, Roger, what you're just saying about development. Uh, That comes from this idea of of, of charting the development of children, Hmm. you know? And so that's a, it's a really great, you know, analogy or, you know, I don't know, corollary to what's happening in the culture. The basic, idea is that an eight-year-old is not a defective 12-year-old. An eight-year-old is 
Every, everybody's perfect at the way they are. And actually, an eight-year-old may have a sense of enchantment that a 12-year-old lacks. There's mm -hmm. things you lose as you go along. I mean, when you get to integral, you want to reintegrate them all again. But the stage development is, again, pretty brutal in a certain way, in terms of the way you lose and demonize and turn and all of these sort of warring ideologies. But that developmental thing that just comes naturally to people. And when we think of children, nobody thinks that an eight-year-old is a defective 12-year-old. But you look at a culture and apply it to culture. I think there's a lot of explanatory quality, power there. And why does it take so many bloody years for a human being to mature? You know, I, know. I think a horse, like, you know, in two years are up and running I with, you know, the crowd is like elephants. It's like, what? I was giving a talk and I said, it takes 30 years. And this woman in the front said, try 40 years. And, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a total puzzlement to me. Yeah, um, that's like, you know, reincarnation. You mean I have to do this again? I no. no. <laughs> yeah, Roger. And the study of history, too, with this developmental lens, just it just changes. Oh, man. Everything. It's just we may not like it, but at least we understand it. Yeah, uh, how the guy who wrote the Declaration of Independence, the greatest expression of modern, the, the rights of man, also had slaves, Thomas Jefferson. You mm -hmm. know, just every, all these conundrums yep. of history are, well, I don't want to say solved, but it's like the Google map. You can turn it, you can see way more deeply into the reality. It's like, oh, I thought that was just a plane. It turns out that there's a hill and there's a river. And it's just seeing more deeply into reality in a way that I, again, I think this is key is it just makes you friendlier to the whole thing mm. and, and heartbroken because it's heartbreaking, yeah. but friendly, not condemning, mm. discerning, not condemning. I like that mm. differentiation, mm. Roger. Jeff, do you feel yourself called to something a further something is there this is a, of course a completely open question but you know <laughs> you've moved through all these stages you've you of course you acknowledge that yeah you you know, you regress like all of us etc cetera, etc cetera, but you can see the movement you can see what calls you now do you have a sense of what might be calling next <laughs> I want to make a joke and say, yeah, these get rid of these lousy hydrangeas that are <laughs> uh, three years is enough already for you. Uh, <laughs> but but okay. in a way, that's my answer is no, I don't have grand. I'm happy to do what I'm doing, the daily. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's a sweet spot for me, considering that I had more ambition as a younger man <laughs> and it paid off in its time. Now I like my garden. I like my life. And I want to do, you know, I want to, you know, take all that privilege. See, this is where woke, there's a lot of uncomfortable realizations that come when I look at my position in this world okay. that call forth a different response than just, oh, too bad. And I'm working with that. You give some examples? Yeah. Where am I going to leave my money? Mm -hmm. That kind of thing. How much should I have actually? Mm -hmm. Should I get, should I keep my leaf or buy a Tesla? I bought the Tesla. Wow. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that kind of thing. And it's almost like the Bodhisattva vow. I sometimes, I, I love this little twist, is that at Integral, the Bodhisattva vow takes you. It's like that realization that nobody can be 
the, the bodhisattva vows, nobody gets liberated. I don't get liberated till everybody gets liberated. So I'm going to vow that. I'm going to stay here and do the recycles of life after life until everybody's enlightened. That's actually a developmental view, incidentally. Buddhism has it at its core. At integral, you realize I can't really be fully happy until the suffering is over. And so I, I, I don't want to lose touch with that. My own suffering, I mean, I love Buddhism for that. And, and all my years of study is that my own suffering becomes a portal into the suffering of others. And I always remember Ken talking about that as you develop and you get more complex, you get more sensors. So the, 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 the suffering of the world hurts more and bothers you less. I have found that to be a koan. I don't really get that, but I like working with it. Yeah. Since you raised the, well, there's this a lot in what you said, I know, but to explore a little more, you so it sounds like you might not give voice to this, but a central part of your aspiration is to live or offer yourself in this bodhisattva, to a, the bodhisattvic aspiration. And yeah. so it might be worth our while just saying a little bit about that. And, and I would frame it a little differently that the, as I understand the bodhisattvic aspiration, it's one of the greatest and highest ideals and most encompassing ideals the human mind has ever conceived. And it, it's an aspiration to awaken as fully as possible to one's highest realization and to cultivate all the beneficent qualities and capacities as fully as one can in order to be an optimal instrument of service for the welfare and awakening of all. And that feels like... I'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> and and what you said, which was really beautiful, that was at a certain at a certain point, as you re if you really open to the suffering of the world, it's like the bodhisattva aspiration goes from being something I should do that to instead to being, well, of course, yeah, of course. I, I now I can see it goes from being an aspiration to a recognition. Oh, of course. I and all of us in our deepest heart of hearts, beneath the pain and the neuroses and the anger and frustration, I actually want to be free of suffering and I want everyone else to be free of suffering. Okay, so next question, what's the best way of doing that? Well, the best way is to become an optimal instrument of, of service and awakening, whatever that takes. And so it go, go, the bodhisattva for aspiration goes from some sacrifice and, and seeking to a recognition of, of course. <laughs> yeah. I like all of that, except you're missing the guilt, Roger. <laughs> <laughs> Not a very good Catholic. <laughs> no, well, I'm, for, I'm with you, man. That, that's well said. Yeah. I think it's beautiful that you're acknowledging that and it gives us a chance to acknowledge that, yeah, we're all imperfect vehicles, but we're actually all, that's at our, our core and the deeper one explores oneself and the more one opens to the world and suffering, the more one finds that that's at the core, the heart, the central dynamic, the motive for all of us. Yeah. yeah. Right on. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. And then, and it leads to such a recognition of our universality. 
<laughs> there we see that all the people trying to save the world in ways we want to save save them from <laughs> they're actually you know, it's actually it's the same dynamic the same motive but of course expressed through our individual personalities and through our particular stage of understanding yeah our cosmic address okay so i know i'm developing uh but you know how do i account for this body clearly not developing you know the, the, the opposite quite the opposite and this is where integral theory also helps because Ken talks about that we have several bodies, one being the physical body, one being the subtle body or the energetic body, which I know what that is. You know, I've done enough meditation and anybody who really, you know, pays attention to themselves sees that they're full of energy and all kinds of things going on. And then there's the spiritual body. And, and, and there are other ways to slice and dice it, but even just those three, um, that I can see that my physical body is deteriorating. My subtle body is not. It's getting more and more complex and more and more, I'm getting more and more understanding and awareness of it. And my spiritual body definitely is not. And so there is actually a development there. It's just, uh, unfortunately, at some point, you have to lose the mortal coil. Yeah. Which I don't want to be there when it happens. Yeah, I was reading a thing about George Washington the other day, and after the, the war was over and he was going back to Mount Vernon, he was like, what, 52 years old? And he said, I'm just an old man and, you know, blah, blah, 52. That sounds pretty damn young to me at this point, you know, yeah, so. Totally. Modernity. Thank you. We get to hang around longer and, and maybe get the, anyway. Yeah. We've got to accomplish what we can with what we have during the time allotted. I appreciate what you said about what is wealth, how much is too much, what should I do with it? And I also feel that this whole integral thing has given me a great deal of relational wealth and how do how do I honor that and be the best person I can be given what I know and uh, was and it wrong with us, the body, spiritual progress of body length at the time or so, yeah. But it's it's great wealth, and to be able to, uh, we can share it. You know, we can put it out there. It can go out, and maybe it'll reach a million people. Maybe it'll reach one person. Who knows? That's that's not our job so much. Our job is just to show up and be present and do the best we can. That's as good as you can we can ask. Yeah. So. Yeah. I always the the line quoted to Mother Teresa: "I'm not here to be successful. I'm here to be faithful." Mm. And I, I like Beautiful. that. That helps me. Beautiful. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to the time when the world is free, when we can all get back together if if the universe so allows and give each other a hug and hang out, get together with all our you know beautiful brothers and sisters Likewise. around the world. We took that stuff for granted, you know, and then you can't do it. And it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, turns out it matters. Yeah, Jeff, you know, this has been such a delight. You know, one of the things we hope to do in, in this podcast is bring these different threads together. And you've done that in a beautiful way. And it's also just been, we also hope just to have, have explorations to, uh, with the people we respect, explore cutting edges, both our own and yours and, and where those, that exploration takes us. And I think this has been a great example of that. And so thank you so much for your work you do and for contributions you're making. And thanks so much for allowing us to have this just we could call it many things, but informative, fun, exploration, discovery. It's just been a delight. So yeah. thank you. Thank you for your work. Thank you for giving us the giving us and the listeners time and what a gift. Yeah. 
Well, my great privilege and pleasure. And it was indeed fun, just like we said it would be at the beginning. Right. We were right. <laughs> it was. Let let this go on the record. We were I know. Right. right again, Roger. John. We're right again, Roger. Thank you guys so much. Really, really so much fun and such a privilege to be on with you. And, and God bless us all. Uh, and and thank, thank you. you. And thank you, uh, again, to remi remind people the Daily Evolver. And you have a new series on the New York Times, which is titled? This week in the New York Times, a post-progressive look at the progressive paper of record. All right. So I use basically the New York Times, which is very much an evolving institution, as sort of a touchstone to look at the news and current events and just read some stories that have caught my eye and try to put them in an integral frame. Great. And that's on Great. Fridays, live on the post-progressive Facebook group, and then is posted on the post-progressive post, which is a, a, an online newspaper. Of, is it also a podcast, Jeff, that we can yeah, listen to? Yeah, it is a way? podcast. Okay. I do it live for about 30 minutes every Friday. Yeah, and then it, it gets posted, I imagine, that night or Saturday. And so there's five of them up right now on the YouTube channel. Great, great. Well, thank you so much for your work, and thank you so much for this thank you, thank chance you, to thank talk. You. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but, <laughs> all right. See ya. Thanks, everyone. Today's episode was brought to you by iWake Technologies. Visit the Deep Transformation website to find out more about iAwake's audio tools designed to wake us up, grow us up as a part of our daily deep transformational practice. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Deep Transformation podcast, and we greatly appreciate your comments, suggestions, and questions. Thank you for all you are and all you do. From John, Roger, and the Deep Transformation team.